Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello. Welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm offering my perspective on abortion. Now, this is a topic that I don't really want to talk about. It's a hot button issue, but I I feel like I need to. I do feel really called to talk about this. It is a hard topic. So to those of you who support the show, who grow with me, thank you for your support. Each time we address a topic that is one of these hot button issues, it really is scary because we are living through cancel culture. We are living through reactivity. We are living through an activism that really screams and shames people. And that's part of why I want to talk about this topic, despite my resistance to wanting to talk about this topic. This episode and every episode, if you're new to me or new to the show, there's an unlimited way to use what I'm offering here in this episode and all the episodes. Making assumptions about what I think or really anybody thinks about anything controversial or not, like a topic like abortion, it's a mistake to make a lot of assumptions. It's a mistake that I see more and more people doing in relating to each other. When we make assumptions about these really big, nuanced, complex issues, and we oversimplify them, when we do this to ourselves and to each other, these assumptions start to kick off a litany of a story about a person or about a group. And we create these stories in our heads. And these are based on our own ideas, our own biases, consciously and subconsciously. Often when I meet someone who has made a lot of assumptions about me and we actually talk something through, often the other person is very confused about how they came up with a story that I just don't fit into. They tend to feel embarrassed when we have that conversation, confused about why they created such a story against me or with anger or with frustration or with making so much assumption that they themselves burned up their own energy unnecessarily. The way the internet works, and we're we're deeply two decades in to the internet playing on our consciousness, playing on our feelings. But the internet, one of the ways that it seems to work is to be increasing the ease in which people can make these sort of surface level assumptions about people, about others, about groups. And these assumptions sort of cheapen that person or that group to one dimension instead of a multidimensional, multifaceted human being that all of us are. This is a problem in this eco chamber phenomenon that has developed because of the internet and social media. The use of fear and anger, hate and disdain, righteousness and victimhood to paint people with giant brush strokes when what's really needed or what is useful, what is more respectful of the human condition is that we we paint with smaller strokes, smaller brushes to be able to understand and see and respect the nuances of being a human being, the nuances of our differences, the complexity, 
with which we have to factor in different information to be able to make really difficult choices for our lives. When we paint with these big, wide, simplistic brushes, we really diminish that we all have different priorities. We have to have different priorities as people, and we're doing the best that we can. We all have different experiences that influence our decision-making. The social media world we live in has made it so easy to react to each other and to dismiss one another instead of really deeply listening and considering with a maturity, a grace, a compassion, a respect for our differences instead of a disdain for those differences. We lose each other. We disrespect the complexity of the human condition when we engage in these types of simplistic assumption. We are living through a very tribal time. And the message of tribalism is you must pick A or B. You must belong to one side or the other. And that is exactly the black and whiteness that I try to teach hurts our mental health. Life is very, very complex. So in this episode, I am likely to get flack from everybody on all sides because I won't choose A or B. I will not lean into a tribal position on this issue and lots of issues. I believe in the principle that most of the healthiness happens in between. And so I hope that you will allow yourself with an open mind and an open heart to hear what I'm offering today. I want to share my journey with the idea, the topic, the issue of abortion, not because my way is right and others is wrong. That's not what I'm offering here or in any episode. I believe we really need people, the human condition, the human species. We need people who are willing to share their perspectives. So much of politics, so much of commentary online comes through a lens of righteousness. And that is not what I am offering. I want to help you become your own authority figure. I want you to be able to deeply process these very difficult and complex issues, your own complexity, so that you can make the very best informed decisions, not emotional decisions, but informed decisions for your life. I have no political agenda to sway you in any direction. Now, you can believe that or not. I think a lot of people who have public voices might say that and very much might be wanting to sway you. If I am trying to sway this audience, it's towards you becoming your own authority figure, you having critical thinking, you being able to evaluate your childhood, your present, and your future so that you can make the very best decisions for your life and your mental health that you can make. I want you to make those decisions, even if that's in opposition to one of my beliefs. And that's truly how we learn to support each other. If we can't support the differences in one another, we might not know how to be as supportive as we could be in this life or as supportive as what we really want. Because the truth is many of us will be faced, if not in this very moment, in some moment in our lives with making some kind of unpopular, difficult, heart-wrenching decision. And what any of us want in that moment is support, even if people disagree with what we're doing. Be wary of people that lead with their righteousness instead of with sharing their perspective and encouraging you to do what's best for you. I'm even a little saddened and frightened for people in this climate that we have cultivated who are swept up in any sort of charged topic that seems to get them internet points, attention, clout by nursing fear or woundedness because our, our human egos love that. And just because our human egos love something, it doesn't mean that it's good for us. When we allow our ego to get vested into our decision-making, it clouds our best decision-making. It enacts the people pleaser in us, wanting to be accepted by the tribe instead of really evaluating if we need to make a decision outside of what the tribe might decide for us or want for us. When our egos are involved, when our groupthink is involved, it perpetuates a codependent, dysfunctional way of being. This plays on our savior and victim complexes, 
And the human condition can lean into savior and victim complexes because these are distractions. These are spiritual and emotional permissions to bypass the deep work that our pain calls us to do so that we can transcend our pain. It's a bit problematic with what's offered online. What started as calls to togetherness and community to reduce stigma about things like depression or anxiety or uh, gender confusion, whatever topic really, these groups that join online coming together because of their pain. Think about the problem in that. If I join an angry or oppressed group, can this group actually encourage me to let go of my anger? Or are we gathering because we're angry? Therefore, if I don't have the anger anymore, how will I relate? These groups can sometimes, like a backhanded compliment, can have some backhanded consequences, like encouraging and reinforcing a victim mentality of them against us. And if it's them against us and the group that I'm connecting to is a depression group, how do I ever transcend my own depression if the depression is what is garnering me togetherness and acceptance? If we're coming together by being angry about people who hurt us, how do we transcend that? Sometimes we dig psychological wounds deeper while offering ourselves some false promises of healing. We have to be very savvy about that as we dip our toes into different communities and different groups as we seek healing, as we grow towards letting go of maladaptive patterns. And a very hard truth in the healing realm is that if we have been betrayed and hurt by other humans as we were growing up, we may have an affinity to move towards what we know and we may know people that have hurt us. We may go towards people who are offering false promises in healing because of a familiarity in the woundedness that they offer. What I want for people is an internal and external permission to be able to explore all options. And I mean all options under the sun, not just in the topic of abortion or carrying a baby to full term. Being able to truly explore whatever you feel called to explore, different perspectives, grounded perspectives. What I want for people is to be able to explore options pressure and shame free. Not just going along with what your family's ideas have been all of your life or a friend group or a political lean. Because I can tell you that in the last few years, as cancel culture has ramped up, as advocacy has really grabbed shaming dynamics, more people are confessing to me than ever before in my career. They're confessing what they won't say to their friends, what they won't say online, what they won't say politically. And what people kind of tell their families, their friends, their healthcare providers, I'm going to say more about this later in the episode, but it's not always the truth especially if they are in fear of judgment or retaliation or being ostracized from any group. I have helped more people in the last few years who very innocently joined LGBTQ groups who then rejected them if they transitioned and they started to appear cis. That has been on the rise. What a sad thing to be rejected by the group. I've seen the same thing in depression groups. Someone joining a depression support group, and as they heal their depression, getting messages from that group or that leader that they're doing something wrong, that they need to basically stay depressed. So we need to be savvy about our critical thinking. We need to be able to evaluate things from our minds, our hearts, our intuitions. We need to be able to listen to people share their stories like I'm about to share, and we need to be able to listen from all of those parts with discernment. If you listen to me or anyone and something in your gut says, I don't believe them or that's not the truth, I would encourage you to continue to gather information to check out that feeling that's very different than just dismissing. What I want for anyone listening to my work, anybody out there who's never listened to my work, I want it for them too, is genuine good mental health. Genuine good mental health. 
whatever that imperfect journey towards good mental health needs to look like, whatever that means on the individual level. For a good life, we must be able to evaluate with discernment what we've been taught as we've been growing up, what we've been programmed. And that may sound sinister, like there's some kind of evil force sitting back trying to intentionally program us, but that's not really what I mean. We are hypnotizable creatures as human beings with a subconscious. We pick up programming, not just from our families of origin, from TV, from movies, from books, from our peers, from the ways that the internet algorithms play on our emotions, pull at our heartstrings. We get programmed by all of our experiences, the good, the bad, the in-between. And we do well to be aware of this natural way our human psychology works because we subconsciously soak up ideas. This is part of how talk therapy works, that we pull these ideas from our subconscious to our conscious mind. In the conscious realm, we can work with it. We can change it. We can grow it. We can let go of what no longer serves us, but not until those things are made conscious. We must evaluate what we have been taught by society and family of origin and or a religious upbringing, politics, all of it, because we're living through a time of great manipulation through media. We must be able to evaluate what may or may not be right for ourselves in any given moment without sugarcoating things to make them look consequence-free or lily-white or making them deep, dark, and horrible with unsurvivable consequences. Maturity understands that fear and shame need to be limited lenses for a good life. Immaturity seems to put more stake in fear and shame as motivators for the greater good. This may be why we're seeing the highest levels we've ever seen of depression and anxiety in our youth as they give a lot of power to fear and shame instead of what I might say as giving power to a reasonable consideration of what may be scary or what may be shameful instead of giving so much power to fear and shame. We want to root ourselves in a centered way. We want to feel grounded and rooted calm, centered as we make decisions. When we put ourselves into fear states and shame states, we are triggering our own nervous system or our nervous system is being triggered without us consciously realizing it. We are created to think less when we're triggered because if you're coming at me with some kind of weapon through evolution, the human condition has learned that I better not stop and go, hey, why is Bob over there coming at me? You'll conk me in the head by the time I stop thinking. So we've learned to react when we are triggered. This is part of why I know empaths and highly sensitive people out there, you can feel it in a lot of the advocacy. It doesn't matter how healthy you might think the advocacy issue is. When you try to advocate through fear and shame, there's going to be a backfiring. And we feel that as highly sensitive people, even when we don't know how to put our finger on naming what that is. So thank you for giving me some space to share my story. Again, it's not right for everybody, but I am going to tell you what I believe about abortion and what my journey has been. And I encourage you to allow yourself to be open to the possibility of having a journey with your relationship with this topic and any topic that is highly charged that has a lot of judgment with it. So I was raised, born and raised in New Orleans, and that's a deeply Catholic place. The truth is, when I was a little kid, there was a point where I thought Catholicism was the only religion. And then I met a Jewish friend and then I realized, okay, there was Judaism. And then it sort of expanded from there. I grew up full of confusion. When I studied sex in college with one of my favorite professors, Dr. King, he said something that I've never forgotten, that our American society is full of mixed messages. We are full of mixed messages to be both puritanical and overtly sexualized. 
That's like going left and right at the same time, up and down. Those are two polarized opposites. And we tend to be raised in this Americanized culture of both be puritanical and be overly sexualized. That is a pendulum swing, you guys. Other societies who have more clarity in their message, okay, like we tend to think as Americans of a French culture as being more sexualized than our American culture. They have more sex on TV, less violence than we do. Well, we would think that if you grew up watching a lot more sex in media, that there would be more teen pregnancy. Actually, it's quite the opposite. And here in America, we've had a teenage pregnancy problem, not in that culture that has more of a clarity about permissive sex. So we have a lot of confusion in our culture. And I do think that is an underlying basis for tensions around anything sex, anything reproductive, anything in the pro-life, pro-choice discussion. So when raised Catholic, it's common to have the issue of abortion presented in this way as baby killing. So at the tender age of 10 to 13, hearing that word, asking questions and the way that I did as a little curious, highly sensitive kid, I was told very directly asking about what that word meant, that it meant killing babies. I was told directly that only bad, loose women who have sex out of wedlock, who aren't married, who get themselves into trouble, use abortion to try to get out of that trouble, to try to get out of their consequences. I was told that this was not for you. The same way when I was asking about suicide, I was told that that's just not a thing that applies to Catholics. And with big issues, this is sometimes what people try to do, especially when they're talking to kids about them. They try to overly simplify, make it very black and white so that they won't stray into the gray. I was confused about the implication that this was a irresponsibility thing, too, because I knew that I was a child of a mother who got pregnant with me out of wedlock. So I can look back and see that I felt that interesting hypocrisy there, that it wasn't acknowledged to me that my mother also fit into that category. And of course, to a child, when abortion is framed as killing babies, unless I had been a budding psychopath, there's no other conclusion to come to other than, well, then abortion is completely wrong. I can't be pro-baby killing. And that's exactly why it's presented that way. It's presented in a way that absolutely made it crazy to consider anything else. The first time that I had sex was at age 17. And I was super hyper vigilant about not getting pregnant because I both knew I did not want to repeat my mother's life. It was hard growing up feeling like my conception overtook her life. It made her get married to my father. And it made two more kids be born. And then my father disappeared, leaving us, flaking out on all visitation, abandoning me and my siblings, not paying child support for those years. And it did. It made us poor. It made us struggle. I had a lot of experiences that were limited that I had to say no to and experiences like having to miss out and be one of the few kids left at the school during the eighth grade trip to D.C. I couldn't go to the 12th grade trip to Disney World with all the other graduating seniors. There were lots of things that I had to say no to. It's part of why I started working at 11 to try to, to make money so I wouldn't have to ask for money. All of this struggle was connected to my mom getting, getting pregnant with me very young. I knew back then on some levels, that I couldn't endure the shame. I couldn't endure the idea that I would burn in hell if I got an abortion. I was committed to not having a baby young and out of wedlock. My heart wouldn't be able to withstand bringing a baby to term and giving it away for adoption. That's what I decided in my young self. These were the thoughts that I had as a young woman. These thoughts were never far away. I held them with great weight and fear. They seemed to weigh thousands of pounds. I didn't like that that weight was on me. 
as a being choosing to have sex, the weight seemed so much lessened on my male counterparts. And I didn't know what to do with that idea either. Fast forward to my first year in college, I was living in the University of New Orleans dorm, and I met what would be my first very long-term relationship in the first few weeks after I turned 18. I felt very lost and broken, but I was holding on with a death grip that I did not want to have a pregnancy until after I attained a master's degree. That was a grounding idea. It was a steadying idea that kept me on course like a compass. Mostly in my dorm, there were international students. UNO is known as a commuter school. And what that means is that typically students don't live there. They live at home and they commute to the school. It's not a typical college experience like LSU, like Louisiana State University or a lot of the universities that pull in students. But because it was a cheaper education, a lot of international students came to UNO and those were the students that were in the dorms and me. It was New Orleans. And so even though a lot of the students worked, a lot already had families, we still drank like fish and partied like monsters because that is the culture of the city where I'm from. There were times during my full-time undergrad that I was taking 12 college hours, a full-time course load at school, and I was working 70 hours a week. I look back and don't know how I survived it, but I did. One of my friends at that time found out that she was pregnant, and she was pregnant with a man that was twice her age and married. He wasn't in the Louisiana area, and he had schmoozed her into believing that he was leaving his wife. He had lied to her about being separated. And when she fell pregnant, didn't want the baby. And she didn't want to tell her parents for fear of shame. She didn't want anything to mess up the opportunity to get her financial degree and be the professional that she saw in her own future. And she decided to get an abortion. Now, I felt that old teaching pulsing through my body. I was told, I was programmed that this was baby killing. So I felt a deep conflict on the inside, but I also was very committed to being a good friend, and I was. I remember saying some prayers, even though I was on the outs with God at this time in my life. I didn't want her to be punished. I saw her struggling so much, and I didn't want her to have any more pain. I never told her that I had been taught that it was baby killing. I didn't want to put that on her. I told her countless times that I was here for her no matter what she decided and that I would not think differently of her no matter what. Intuitively, and I wouldn't have that word for many years, but intuitively, I knew that this was right for me and for her in this moment, that I would help her with whatever she decided. I went to the initial doctor's appointment and I encouraged her to ask any and every question that she might have. I knew, again, on an intuitive level that all the questions needed to be answered before this big decision was made. I went back with her for the abortion appointment. I went into the room and she changed into the gown. I offered to stay with her and she wanted me to. I had witnessed her waffle going back and forth on the decision. I reiterated that she could change her mind at any time. And whatever she decided was okay. And she had me to help her through it. We would figure it out. I sat next to her in that bed holding her hand. I was trying not to cry from the intensity of the moment, from the grown-up adultness of that moment, the gravity of that situation. All the feelings, all the options seemed limited and hard. I continued to hold her hand as she put her legs into the stirrups. And that thin hospital gown seemed so pitiful, like not enough of a cover. A nurse came in and prepped some things and then went out. And we looked in each other's eyes. And as our eyes locked, I just knew that she did not want to have the abortion. I knew that it was not my stuff. It was not me putting that I didn't want her to get an abortion on her. So I reiterated my message one more time with our eyes locked 
And she just stared right at me and said, I can't do this. And without hesitation, I said, okay, get dressed. Let's go. And we did. I have thought of this moment so many times over the years. I think of this moment every time I see this now young woman who is in college herself, older than we were when I sat holding her mother's hand. Her mom went on to complete an undergraduate and then a master's degree, and it took her a little longer than what it would have taken her without the baby. Her family supported her, and she did it. It was an important moment for me because it made me realize that my own mother, instead of that victim story about her being victimized by being pregnant with me, my mother could have built her life many different ways, with or without me. And it gave me some peace that I couldn't have articulated needing or wanting, but it gave me some peace about the role of my experience as a person on this planet, the role I had had in another woman's life just simply by existing and being born. Now, this was not my pregnancy. This was not my abortion or my child to birth. And yet I have thought about this moment So frequently over the years, every time I see the abortion debate raging, I have a strong intuitive no, uh uh-uh, nope, to this idea that people can have an abortion without much thought, without much feeling. It wasn't my abortion, and I marvel at how I've pondered it, how that moment has just kind of stuck with me, and it didn't even happen. A few years later, another friend of mine would find herself pregnant. Now, this friend wasn't very stable. She wasn't emotionally stable. She wasn't financially stable. She wasn't stable in the relationship she was in. She was over-medicated with psych meds. She had been pulling away from friends that were good for her and toward ones that were just trouble. I witnessed her becoming very manipulative with men after she had endured a rape. And it confused me at the time. But it makes more sense. Now I understand it from my work as a trauma therapist. Now I know what I know about sexual trauma. I just didn't back then. And it's, it's one of the sad truths to having that kind of abuse in your history. One of the potential ways that we try to deal with that in the human condition is by becoming overly sensual or overly sexualized. That's very confusing to look at. How could someone be raped and then actually dial up the sexualization, the objectification? But when you understand it below the surface level of how that looks, we can understand that that's an attempt to control others. That's an attempt to have some control over the self after an experience of being wildly out of control, wildly used and abused. It's as if the subconscious grabs a belief that says, okay, I've been objectified. I've been used like I'm an object and tossed away. So if I lead with my body, if I lead with being a sexual being, then I can't be shocked. I can't be blindsided if someone wants to use me for sex. Aha, this is how I will control this dynamic. I'll be overly sexual. She became pregnant with a man. And wisely or not, she seemed to want to marry this guy. And I think she was very thrown when the pregnancy didn't equate to a marriage proposal. She ultimately did get an abortion. She didn't engage me to hold her hand or I would have held her hand during it. I saw her a week or two later. It happened to be during the Mardi Gras season. We met up for a parade. And again, I didn't yet have the term intuition And if anyone had said the word energy to me, I would have still thought that was just a bunch of woo-woo crap back then. But today I can own that I'm an intuitive and that something about my energy draws people in. It's proof I have not just from the response to this podcast or my working groups and with individuals, more so from my experiences of complete strangers all through my life approaching me to tell me sometimes their deepest, darkest secrets like grown men who have told me that they were molested or sometimes people pick me out of a crowd to tell me they had to put their pet down or they just want a hug from me and they don't know why. It's something that happened a lot more pre-COVID and I kind of miss it. 
but I could sense that her energy was bordering on mania. It, it was off. It was wrong. It just wasn't grounded. I didn't have the clinical language yet to name that to her, and I just sat in the confusion of that. In layman's terms, she was having a break with reality that seemed made more chaotic from a combination of various medications plus alcohol plus sometimes cocaine and diet pills. She went off the deep end. For our friendship, it never came back together. And I've always wondered if we would still be close like we once were if she hadn't had a full-blown psychotic break after her abortion. Now, it was certainly compounded by an earlier rape that had been unattended to therapeutically. Over the years in my work, many women have talked to me about having an unplanned pregnancy. Often, more than one birth control was used, like the pill or a manual and a manual contraceptive like a condom or an IUD. Terrified and overwhelmed at the predicament they find themselves in despite doing all the responsible things while having sex. These women who've shared with me their stories of seeking an abortion in this circumstance often report a total relief post-abortion. They report a lot of satisfaction with this decision, relief. And my intuitive empathic abilities can honestly tell you that I could feel that relief coming off them. I didn't think that they were lying to themselves or to me, even when this was a very tough decision for them to make. Relief and having a trust that that's a right decision for someone, it doesn't mean that you don't ever think of it again. With relief, with a satisfaction of that decision and life planning, most have reported to me lots of thoughts some women pay attention to what that birthday may have been. Some get sad and grieve. Some talk to that child as part of their therapeutic process. Some calculate for all the days of their lives how old that child would be and what that kid might be like. It is a harsh reality of this life that when we say yes to one thing, we are often saying no to another because we just cannot do all of the things. Life asks us to make so many choices, often hard ones. I am sure that there are people who get abortions and just wall it off, never to be thought of again. And the healthiness of such an internal boundary or compartmentalization can be argued either way. Sometimes that might be a healthy compartmentalization that brings a true closure. Or it might be a total denial of the experience that brings a lot of subconscious anxiety. I tend to work with a population with high insight and high empathy. I'm quite sure that antisocial and narcissistic mothers who have low to no empathy can likely get multiple abortions with few emotional thoughts or emotional process. But high empathy, highly sensitive people tend to process everything deeply. So if they are faced with the possibility of even thinking about the potential of an abortion versus having a child or putting it up for adoption, they're going to think about this at a very deep level. If you've ever been in a college philosophy class, at least the kind of philosophy that was offered to me in college more than 15 to 20 years ago, colleges have changed drastically. I finished college in 2006, and at about 2012, colleges have basically kind of pulled back from challenging critical thinking and offering students ideas that are challenging in and of themselves. And this is problematic. This is part of how we learn that life is challenge, how to honor our differences instead of expect sameness, which is a setup to feel very upset a lot of the time. But if you've ever been in a traditional philosophy class, Abortion is just one of those things that every basic philosophy class gets into pretty much because we cannot really answer it. We cannot get a solid answer on the rightness or wrongness because it is a which came first, the chicken or the egg. All we can do is figure out to the best of our ability who we are, what are our driving principles, and live to those standards however imperfectly we do. I value and see myself as a quality of life person. I value quality of life over quantity of life. 
Some people value quantity of life at all costs. Neither perspective can have enough human evidence to prove a rightness or a wrongness either way. We can evaluate who am I now? And will I change over a lifetime? Am I a quality of life versus quantity of life person in general across the board? Or do I evaluate that issue to issue? I've had Leslie McMahon on. She is an adoption expert and a therapist. Check out that episode if you want to hear a very real, no-fluff professional discussion on the psychological truths of adoption. You'll hear us advocate for more open adoption. I've been by the side of quite a few women who decided against abortion. And whether it was a first untimely pregnancy or a second or third or fourth or even fifth that might stress their families, their finances, their bandwidth, made the decision to not have an abortion, to give birth, to give life to this baby, to take that pregnancy to fruition and give that child to another family, to another mother and father who are better positioned to take on that responsibility, who want that responsibility and want to caretake that child. Now, I work with a lot of sexual trauma. It would be easy to hear what my specialties are and assume that those have been some of the hardest sessions I've sat through as a therapist. You might be surprised to know that these are actually some of the toughest sessions I've been through. Some of the heaviest, most heart-wrenching sessions of my life have been with pregnant women choosing to give up their child for adoption. Often a woman making that choice to not have the abortion, to give the baby up for adoption, has a lot of peace when they get to choose the family and they get to create an open adoption. They get to be in that child's life without a responsibility that the weight might take them or their families down. They get to give that child a fulfilling life with another big-hearted woman or family that's unable to have their own or wants to bring another child into their family. I have witnessed more love, more beauty, more healthiness, and willingness to put the child first in these situations than I would have bet on or believed if I hadn't witnessed it so many times. What I would often say to these women is that I am in awe of their strength and courage, in awe of their ability to evaluate a situation with their feet on the ground, invite a realism full of the shadow of unfair ideal that in an ideal world, money and support would fall out of the sky. Child care would be simpler. It would be more affordable. We would maybe live more like a tribal village and the village would hold us. And that in the face of wanting a fantastic choice, there often isn't one. There's crappy choice over here and crappy choice over here. And I have told these women that I am proud of them for digging deep and making the best decision that they possibly could for themselves and for this baby. What has blown me away more than the courage is the nastiness and the cruelty and the pressure and the shame tactics that I have witnessed from most of these women's families. I've had some women's mothers pressure and shame them daily, then leave them in the delivery room alone at the very moment that they could use mothering. I have witnessed many women share with me their own mother saying things to them like, you weren't an easy child to raise and deal with, and yet I kept you. Why are you giving away my grandchild? I could have never been so heartless to my own child. Tremendous shame at an incredibly vulnerable point. I've held space as these women process the impossible torn feelings of both knowing that they made the right decision for themselves in this pregnancy turned baby and knowing that if they had just stayed quiet and had an early simple procedure we call abortion, that they wouldn't have a scarlet A for adoption strapped to their beings. No looks of disdain, no looks of disgust, no looks of rejection from family members. As the process unfolds, what's also common is after a few years, those mothers come around. And after giving this poor woman who is desperately trying to do the right thing 
after giving her hell during the most difficult time in her life. Those mothers sometimes show back up and go, okay, I guess I get it. Now that the kid is between two and five, I can see that they're happy and you're happy. So much unnecessary pain and shame. So much pushing each other apart when what we really need in the human condition is of pulling together, holding each other, showing up for each other, even when we're in disagreement about what somebody is doing, what choice they're making. These women have wept with me about knowing that their own mother was comfortable for so long emotionally pummeling them, only to now be in the position of just letting it go and forgiving to be able to move on. So much unnecessary pain. Deciding to keep a baby instead of abortion, to give it up for adoption is a very, very difficult road to take. And if you have taken it, I am sending you a hug. It's a brave choice. Talk about being willing to let people judge you. And for those of you who lean people-pleasing, my goodness, what a feat. Now, I can't speak to every single situation of pregnancy, right? There's an infinite iteration of circumstances and stages in life and people coming together and things that don't look good on paper but actually work really well in life, infinite possibilities, But that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. When we argue either way so hard about an issue like abortion, we are really missing the complexity of this human experience. One of the comments we get a lot about the show is that you can't tell my politics. Now, one of the big conservative talking points is that abortion from rape and incest is barely statistically chartable. It's so low. I've heard many a conservative commenter comments on this that this argument that we really do need to have abortion services especially when it comes to rape and conservatives talk about that like it's such an outlier like it barely ever happens i don't trust any of those statistics after being in this line of work why because i'm a trauma specialist who feels very safe to the traumatized much has been confessed to me shared with me that I was not prepped for as a counseling master's degree student. Not in the literature, not in the research, not in statistics. More women than I can count over my career have admitted to me getting an abortion from pregnancy from their fathers, so from rape, their brothers, their uncles, pastors, priests, family friends that are almost like second fathers or safe uncles, Every single time a woman has told me about a pregnancy from an abuser, I have gone out of my way to make damn sure I asked the question if when they got the abortion, if they reported it, if anyone asked them the question. About half the time they get asked the questions. I have never had a woman have such a pregnancy and tell me that they reported to the abortion clinic or doctor that it was because of rape or incest. Never. Every single one I have ever met and worked with lies if that question is postured to them. So I don't believe these statistics. We already estimate that one in four women is sexually abused over their lifetime. We are not even close to having numbers that help us understand truly how many pregnancies are terminated, miscarried, or delivered when it comes to rape or incest. And this makes so much emotional sense to be so young, to be so violated, so betrayed, to have on top of sex or rape a pregnancy. Some of these women don't even know that that they are being raped when they have gotten such abortions. Because guess who takes them to get the abortion? The very abusers often drive them to get these procedures. If you are against abortion 100%, I get it. I very much understand why you take that hard stance with it. I get it. But can you understand that someone can be so lost, so confused, so completely overwhelmed by circumstance, they cannot even barely think through what's going on until much, much, much later? Could we please bring more compassion to this? Do we lose anything if we bring more compassion 
That's what this episode is about for me. That you can be in your belief system, even if that is an all right or all wrong belief system. And that doesn't mean that you need to be in less compassion for other people who make choices that you yourself would never make. Barry Weiss, she has a podcast called Honestly. There is an episode on abortion. If you Google Barry Weiss and abortion, that episode will come up. It was done before Roe versus Wade was overturned. And that episode is the fairest thing I have ever heard on abortion. And you will hear reiterated what I'm about to say if you go listen to that episode. That to have any real, honest, grown-up conversation about abortion, we must acknowledge the truth in both pro-life and pro-choice arguments. That somehow, in this messy way, life does not organize itself into proper little boxes and packages that we can simply and clearly tie up in a little bow and call it a day. Conception is the start of life, and that if left alone would result in a natural miscarriage or a birth, there is no other option there. And an early pregnancy is also a small clump of cells that is different than a 20-year-old, different than a 4-year-old, different than a 2-year-old, different than a 1-year-old. To have a real grown-up conversation about this in respect of each other's humanity, we have to acknowledge the truth in both of these arguments. Any other argument that dismisses either truths is an unfair argument, is biased. I often speak on this show to the dysfunction of living at the polls, that healthiness happens somewhere in the middle. We can't perfectly be in the middle. We can't perfectly do anything. I've had a beef with mental health for a long time. Because there's a lot in mental health that is backfiring. If that was not true, our youth would be doing better than what they're doing. In healthcare, it is completely acceptable that we keep life going with medical intervention. When without that intervention, people would die a natural death. So again, I don't have the answer here. But when we are arguing about these points, if we are comfortable extending life and playing God in such a way to extend it, I've often wondered why people who are for such extension interventions to play God and keep life going are so opposed to interventions that terminate an early life. Life is full of such dilemmas. And it's full of very, very difficult decisions. Sometimes we make unpopular decisions to save our own lives and make those decisions despite what those around us think. Few people in my life supported me when I went no contact with my family. And I went no contact with my family after they were against me wanting the incest that I endured to play out in the legal system publicly. That shame, that pushback, because I felt compelled to handle my life in a way that they did not like and they thought was wrong. Ultimately, it pushed me to leave to save my own life. I want to say clearly and strongly that it is your job in your own precious life to make the decisions for your life all along the way. That some decisions are painful no matter what, no matter which way you turn. It would have been painful for me to stay connected to my family. And it was painful for me to leave. No matter what, I could not pick a path that avoided pain and struggle. I could not pick a path that avoided the judgment of others. If you are facing tough decisions about pregnancy or anything else in your life, please dig deep and be true to yourself because you will have to live with yourself no matter what. And we will face many decisions in life where pain is unavoidable, when we are just choosing our pain path. And this is a truth that I wish was not true. But I am, among other things, a realist. And I tune out those things that tout an idealized messaging. Healthy, mature people will not judge or shame you, even if and when they disagree with your decision-making. True support is in supporting the person, 
no matter what they decide. I'm sorry that it seems that so few people know this wisdom and know how to offer true unconditional support while potentially being in disagreement. I have never had a pregnancy and therefore I have never had an abortion or a birth. I have had some risky, irresponsible sexual encounters despite my youthful hypervigilance against pregnancy, alcohol being a big part of all of those moments. I have often said prayers to the universe as I subscribe to no man-made religion. I have thanked the stars. I have thanked the universe for not having to experience such a dilemma. Technically, I guess it can be argued that I am pro-choice, but I don't think of myself that way anymore. Since this new wave of hyper-politicalization, ideology shaming, people choosing camps over choosing each other and people, I don't want to associate with any of it. I'm pro-human. I am pro-each individual having the freedom to have as many options as possible, shame and pressure free, with unconditional empathy and compassion, because this one precious life is hard. Part of my principles, you have to decide your own principles. Part of mine is that I am not for life at any cost. I lean towards quality of life over quantity of life. From the spiritual lens, when someone says to me that if my mom had aborted me, I wouldn't be here, I dismiss that. Part of my spiritual belief is that every soul that is meant to be here finds a way and comes through. I have a deep faith that if my mother had chosen not to have me, I would have come into the world another way. And this, like so much else, can never, ever have any kind of proof attached. Just like the Catholic belief of burning in hell. That can't ever be proven to me. To those who say that this is a convenient rationalization to avoid the guilt of ending a life, to avoid the guilt of murder, I say, okay, I understand your lens. You get to have that lens. We as humans must learn to make peace with so much that is imperfect, messy, chaotic, and different amongst the tribe. I'm okay with any judgment anyone has for me or about me. I radically accept that people are different and you get to have beliefs that are different than mine. And I don't have to throw you away for it. I radically accept our inherent differences, our differences in processing, our differences in processing to get to conclusions for ourselves as a radical act of peace and sanity and love for myself and recognition that I cannot live well carrying around the judgments of others that they want to dump on me, I would feel smushed like a pancake. Choice is all we really have as the building blocks of this life. So in all things, we get to choose with more wisdom, more maturity, more information, with more grace and more compassion as we age. I very much hope that by me sharing my journey through this difficult topic in the way that I can here, helps you look at your own journey on this topic and so many others. As seekers, we are creatures that evolve, reevaluating what we were taught, what we were programmed, what we believe, why we believe it, if there's room to believe anything different, if that would serve us or not. This is part of how we critically think as we move through our lives and attempt to have a life that honors our principles our human being, our spiritual being, in the divine, messy, chaoticness of this human life. If you want more, if you want to learn from me and with me because we're similar or especially because we're different, please keep listening to the show. Keep tuning in. If you want more, please consider supporting us at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. If you found this episode helpful in any way, Thank you for being open to a very difficult topic. Thank you for giving me some grace to address a very difficult topic. It is scary as hell to talk about such loaded topics when my livelihood and that of my team is connected to this work and what I put out there. If you have your own platform and you're hearing me talk about this and you feel so compelled, join the conversation. 
the more of us that are talking about this in a human way, in a grounded way, letting go of shame and judgment, the more we'll get to that grounded center. There is such a butterfly effect when we do the work individually to be grounded and centered, then the energy we're sending out into the universe is also grounded and centered. Please don't buy into any messaging that being righteously irate about anything is going to inspire anything in anybody other than more hate, more keeping each other at arm's length, more anger, more hurt, more invulnerability for all of us to work through. This show is called Emotional Badass, so I won't allow myself to shy away from these difficult topics. I won't stay in my comfort zone. That's part of how I challenge myself to continue to grow. So if this was challenging for you to listen to, thank you for meeting me in that challenge. Thank you more for meeting yourself in that challenge. I want to thank those of you who have given five-star reviews. It very much helps the show to be recommended, to be shared with other people. We still get messages very, very frequently from people who are so relieved to realize that they are highly sensitive to realize that healing is possible. Very recently, I explored a very hard part of my story about my own abusive relationship and how I got out of it. And the feedback from that has been tremendous. It is really true that we learn and we grow from hearing other people's truth, their vulnerability, their story. And to those of you who have written to me or told me in person, that you get a lot of hope because you know that I am healed. You can feel the healing in me, that it helps you know that healing is possible for you. And I want you to know it's more than possible. It's probable. All you have to do is keep putting one foot in front of the other, growing, letting go of what no longer serves you and opening up to what can and what might. So thank you for writing these reviews. You actively put this show in front of other people when you do. This person says, valuable insights and tools for HSPs. I love this podcast. I can always find material relevant to my life right now. Nikki is phenomenal at explaining complex scenarios and bringing light to what is important. She provides insight and coping strategies that have helped me heal from my past and live a better life today. Thank you very, very much. I'm so glad you're out there living a better life. I know that there's a butterfly effect around you. And that is the beauty available to us when we show up and do this work. So thank you, Sarah and Megan's mom, for that review. I want to thank Lisa Hill 77 She says, amazing. I'm so thankful to have found you in this podcast. You put words to so many of my feelings. Common humanity is healing. Thank you for sharing your vulnerabilities and leading by example. You are so welcome. Thank you for being out there listening. This is from Alex and Colleen. They say, love you so much. 10 out of 10, you're so good at this. You enlighten me every morning when I turn your podcast on. Thank you so much for letting me in your world that way. Bird Molly says, thankful. I am beyond thankful that I have found your podcast. Listening has been such a source of comfort for me. I love listening while on walks. Your podcast has opened my eyes to so much and I feel like I am understanding myself so much better. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are so welcome. Thank you, Bird Molly. I want to thank Falling Ashleep. They say, oh, episode 22, season one. So an oldie but a goodie. On a whim typed recovering people pleaser in the podcast search bar and found the don't list. Perfect first and fast dose of realism. And I felt a desperate urge to get right now. Can't wait to hear the rest. Thank you, Falling Ashleep. I'll read one more. I want to thank Kenzie Wallace, 07. Kenzie says, thank you. I have been listening for months now. I was seeking out something that I connected with, and this was instant. Felt very drawn to you from the moment I heard your voice. Thank you for giving me the motivation to make time for myself and to allow myself to understand my sensitivities more. You are a true inspiration for me, and I have so much respect for what you do. I love hearing the emotion in your voice. Y'all can hear it now. And I have shown everyone I possibly could. You and your work is an amazing gift to them as well. You are such 
a bright light in this world. Thank you for making me feel like I was a part of something and able to be understood. Mackenzie Wallace, thank you so much, madam. Y'all, we have such a circle of support here. I mean it by writing those reviews, by being on our Patreon. Y'all really help us put the show out all over the world. Y'all, I even saw recently, we have we were the 245th biggest mental health podcast in China. Like seriously, y'all, when you share the show with the craziness of how the internet works, it gets shared. Y'all have been our marketing team since the beginning. Thank you so much for allowing me to do what I do. I genuinely want health and peace within our differences and our similarities for all of us. Light and love to all of you, particularly on this episode, you pro-lifers, you pro-choicers, all of you, all of you, I know you're just trying to move through the world, living your principles, being a good person, trying to figure out this life. You don't have to be at each other. Light and love and peace. I'll see you right here for the next brand new episode. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.